This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. Today, I'm going to try to tackle one of the huge elephants in the message room, the park. This is not an easy subject. Even though I was not directly or even indirectly involved, I know several people that have escaped the park, and I understand both the complexity and the pain. I ask those who argue and resort to cursing or condemnation in our forum to please show respect for the victims as we try to take on this delicate issue with sympathy. This is a subject avoided by everyone who knew about it. From the message ministers who cover it up to the message ministers who can't comprehend how this can happen to God's little bride to the escapees who will cope with the emotional scars that they will carry out for the rest of their lives. It is a subject that is all too common in religious cults. No religious cult unanimously decided that they want to endure emotional, physical, spiritual, or sexual abuse to the point that their lives will be changed forever. Most cult movements start on the grounds of some type of reformation and many times that reformation is for a good cause but reformation that is grounded in the bible will always end with lives that are saved through the blood of jesus christ reformation that does not align with scriptures will end with lives that are ruined forever gene goad and Leo Mercer were students of the cult leader William Marion Branham. Branham first introduced them in 1955 in Macon, Georgia. He said, here's a friend of mine, Brother Leo Mercer. He's from up in Michigan and he he comes from that Badger State, I believe. Of course, you can be forgiven for that, he jokes. You know from being from Michigan. And a very fine boy him and Gene Goad, another chum, bosom friend. I call them my students. 
They're missionary boys studying for missionary. They come along in the meetings and take tape recordings and so forth. <clears throat> there was a sermon entitled, A Greater Witness Than John, in 1955. Though closely involved with the spreading of William Branham's ministry, Gene and Leo Mercer had a hidden secret. They were both homosexual and were sexual deviants. Two personality traits that not only conflicted with William Branham's public opinion, but also with the religious beliefs of most Christian churches. But evidently, William Branham's public opinion did not match his personal opinion. He seemed to really enjoy spending his spare time with these two homosexuals. Branham started meeting the tape boys, Gene and Leo, in private. He said on tape, 1956, here not long ago, you might have heard it in the magazines. I love wild animals, and I was sitting on my porch with my student ministers down here, Mr. Mercer and Mr. Goad, the tape boys. And they come up there, and we talk. That was a sermon entitled The Exodus. Later he says, Brother Leo Mercer, he's somewhere here in the building, and Brother Gene Goad, sitting here, precious boys, go with me wherever I go. Sirs, we would not see Jesus in Tifton, Georgia. Leo Mercer <clears throat> and Gene Goad were homosexual, and Lee Vale knew they were homosexual. In fact, from the accounts of others who knew these two tape boys, their physical actions and their speech were obviously different than most of the church. And outsiders who were more experienced in the ways of the world would comment that these two men were homosexual. In a sermon in 2000, Lee Vale reminds his congregation that these two men were homosexual. He said, at the same time, Gene and Leo, two homosexuals, attached themselves to Brother Branham's ministry. Tape boys. But William Branham trusted the homosexuals with handling of his ministry. Not just the recordings, but also the publications and the events that are described in the sermons themselves. These two homosexual Tate boys were responsible for the alteration of the prophecies, which we know changed drastically over time to fit actual recorded history. They were responsible for making sure that each prophecy could not be proven to have failed. William Branham says this, by the way, Mr. Mercer and many of them, many of them, are going to take some of these old prophecies and dig them out and revise them a little. Let's take a triangle and put it in a square hole and revise them a little or bring them up to date and put them in papers. Branham said that in condemnation by representation. <clears throat> but in 1964, the two sexual deviants set up a commune in Prescott, Arizona, 
and William Branham ordained their operation. In the ordaining service, he says, Brother Leo, Brother Gene, and pilgrims, I deem this to be one of the grand privileges that I've had to come here and see for myself what you have done here on these grounds. It's a, I've been blessed as I moved across the little creek there and I see this court. And I, one time when Brother Leo was making tapes, and I told him surely there was something greater in life for him than to make tape. Is that a prophecy? And of course, tape making is something that we all must do. But it's blessed for us to see that there's something else. We're cut out for different things to do. And to come here this morning and look, this little fine Jerusalem setting out here. Little, what I called it, Goshen. I believe when we come over here this morning, remember Goshen was one of the places that they worshipped, one of the first places that the tent was pitched. The first places. Was this the first of many? And to meet old friends and new and to have this time allotted to us, I just, it seems that you just don't want to leave. There's just something that wants to hold you. And I see you people the way you want to stay here. See, it's something that grips you. He says, I don't believe that it was ever sweeter in worship as these songs and these things. I sit there and bite my lips and shake my feet try to hold myself back from screaming out when I heard those old songs the way I think they ought to be sung and it's to be sung in the spirit now that's what we Paul said if I sing I'll sing in the spirit now I can't imagine the spirit as being screamed at the top of our voice I think the spirit of Christ is love and gentleness and peace and that brings something to our souls and feeds us I think that there's some of them songs the way they should be sung that was the oddball in Prescott, Arizona. Notice the title of the sermon. The oddball. What happened next has ruined the lives of many families. Most will never speak of it. Because they have been emotionally scarred forever. Many do not even understand it. This is supposed to be God's chosen bride, and yet sexual acts and physical abuse that followed would split marriages. It would ruin lives and even produce a victim, one that is in the state of California, that California would prefer to send to the electric chair rather than to be allowed on the streets. I say victim. Because even though his crimes are horrendous, this poor man was a result, <clears throat> a result of Branham's precious homosexual deviance. <clears throat> According to the state of California, case SO4-5060, Mercer gradually became more authoritative, employing various forms of punishment. He would ostracize people from the community and separate families. Children were beaten for minor, minor infractions, like talking during a march, or not tying their shoes. Mercer 
<clears throat> would punish the girls by cutting their hair and force the boys to wear girls' clothing. There was also evidence that Mercer sexually abused the children. That's the state of California. Under the disguise of God's will, these two homosexual deviants would physically and sexually abuse the children, spiritually destroy the followers, and separate the families. And some have testified that they would even perform homosexual acts on the fathers. And it has been rumored that William Branham himself went into the little trips into the woods. What is interesting is that the court document both refers to the commune in Prescott and the following in general as a cult. Yet it refers to the cult leader, William Branham, as Brother Branham. Is this not odd to you? This is unusual. Typically, in official documents that refer to pastors, especially that of cult churches, they refer to them as reverend or pastor or some other title than brother. Did the organization get involved with these court proceedings? One child was forced to sit in Leo Mercer's lap and describe the sexual acts that she committed with herself. And then, Leo watched as a nurse examined to see this victim child, <clears throat> to see if she had worms. He sat there and he watched the nurse do this. <clears throat> the court documents record that she sometimes was whipped for minor infractions. Once her brother was beaten until he bled. I'm reading from the court document. Mercer ordered that her hair be cut off to punish her because he had a vision from God that she was being sexually inappropriate with young children. Isn't it odd that the man with the vision from God about this poor child was the sexual deviant? It goes on to say, so she was beaten and forced to wear masculine clothes that covered much of her body, hiding her bruises. Her fingertips were burned so that she would know what hell felt like. In the lengthy trial that would focus on the, the one victim of the cult that they thought was the worst, many other victims stood up to testify. They told about their sexual abuse and the deviant acts that William Branham's precious tape boys performed on the men the women, and the children in the commune. They told of the spiritual abuse that had beat them down into submission. Good men and women that were deprived of many needs just to pleasure these two homosexual and the victims that would change over time. But every single testimony had this one common aspect. The fear that would pursue and the constant pain that they would face every day for the rest of their lives. They called these the effects of the park. The victims 
cope with this traumatic situation by suppressing the memories, which is both unhealthy and dangerous. Many will never speak of what happened there because of the unbearable pain that resurrects at just the mention of the name they call it, the park. Some male victims with wives outside of the commune do not even discuss these matters with their wives. The scars are too deep. Many of you learning about these things would think this is a very tragic event, and it is. Probably the worst in the history of this cult, and it's the worst in the history of the nation, one of the worst in the history of the nation. You would think that this is an isolated event, like Jim Jones was an isolated event, but it is not. The reason that it is not is because the pastors and the elders who knew what happened in the park, the ones that covered it up because they do not have enough character to stand up for what is right, men with no backbone to warn others of the impending dangers that can destroy the lives of many. And I'm not talking about the victims. I'm talking about the founding fathers of the cult of William Branham's message. The message that was altered by two homosexual deviants to trick the people into believing that these false visions were accurate and these failed prophecies came to pass. By covering up the secret sins, these men with no backbone are allowing others to become filled with the same deviant spirit. They allow song leaders to molest young children and allow the pastors to cover it up. Why not? Why not allow it? The message itself has the same thing. Let's just cover it up in our own church. Victims are contacting me from around the world with very similar isolated incidents. After so many isolations, how long does it take before it becomes the norm and not the abnormal? And don't get me wrong, this can happen in any church. It happens often in the Catholic Church, and that's how it's dismissed. It was one of the many reasons that Martin Luther took his stand for Reformation. But there is a difference between the sexual deviants that are in the message and the reformed churches that we have today. While these cult churches cover things up, like the priests in the Catholic Church, other Christian churches, they spread awareness, both internally and externally. If there's a sexual deviant pianist, the pastors do not allow her to, to continue in a position that could create more victims. They spread awareness. Yes, she can be forgiven, and we hope to God that she is, but don't place more potential victims in harm's way. Scarred followers have contacted me from around the world to tell me of their abuse by family members. Many describe telling the pastor and how nothing changed to protect the innocent. More than one, even locally, has described the pastor siding with the deviant. 
even though they were proven guilty by court of law, these pastors are covering up the deviant's sins and not protecting the innocent sheep. Is it truly a shepherd if the sheep is not protected? God needs more men to lead his children with backbone. Men who are not afraid to admit their failure to lead God's children to the truth. James 4 seems to be speaking directly out of the pages of scriptures to these ministers. God is beckoning, stand up for what is right. It is true that we are not supposed to judge the person. That is described all throughout the Bible. Judge not lest ye be judged. But we can't hide behind that statement simply because we do not want to admit that the doctrine itself is wrong. James says this, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks out against a brother, the one who speaks out against a brother judges his brother, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is only one lawgiver and only one judge. That is William Branham. No. <laughs> the Bible says there is one lawgiver and one judge who is able to save and destroy. Is that William Branham? James says, but who are you to judge your neighbor? But see, at the same time, James tells us not to get caught up into the things of life so much that we overlook the bigger picture. He says, come now, those of you who say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil, he says. The chapter ends with these words, words that are calling out to the pastors to stand for the truth. Forget about this profit that you make off of the prophet's mistake. You don't even know if you're going to live another day. You don't even know if you'll make another dollar because you don't know what tomorrow brings. You may not even be alive tomorrow. James combines very powerful words into one sentence that is the last sentence of this chapter. He says this, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let me reread that. And I'm going to be speaking directly to every cult pastor who knew of this thing. I'm going to be speaking to every one of the founding fathers who are still alive who cover up this thing. I'm going to be speaking to every cult pastor who knows of this thing and doesn't understand it and knows it's wrong. James says this, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. If any of you know anyone, or you yourself, 
have been affected by the park or any similar fruit of William Branham's message. We have people to help. Do not try to cope with this by yourself. Christ established a church, the body of Christ, to lift up one another, not to break them down. This is not your fault. And it is a skeleton in the closet of every man who knows about it and does nothing. And I'm not talking about the victims. I'm talking about the men who could do something about it and simply won't to protect their lifestyle. Please seek help. If you do not know how to seek help, we will do our best to find a way. There are now many of us, right now, helping others impacted by deviant men and women in this cult of William Branham, the cult that William Branham produced. Some helping still attend the cult churches, not even realizing that the branches produced come from the trunk. If you need help and you do not know how to get it, please contact us at www.seekyethetruth.com. God bless you.